welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain, inspire, and inform you about all things running. I'm Brian Dalek, one of the producers of the show and your host for this episode. Today, we've got a return to the Pentagon and the Air Force physical fitness test. An update on how my colleagues Christine Fennessy and Robert Reese have or have not progressed since taking that test. Plus, Christine's conversations with two members of the Air Force. She spoke with a female B-52 bomber pilot and a para-rescueman, a member of the military's elite special operations community, about how running helps them better do their jobs. So a lot of times if we're running, it's more like, you know, you've got to drag a patient behind a piece of cover or, you know, you're, you're kind of sprinting for your life to get somewhere. So probably running fast from a job standpoint is more important than running long, but you still need to have that endurance component where like, you, you know, you might have to walk 15 miles to, to get to an objective or to get to a patient in a real world mission. And running is, is, is another way to prepare for that. It's yet another show that captures the many places that running takes us. Thanks for joining us. It's been over a year since producer Christine Fennessy and executive producer for RunnersWorld.com Robert Reese took the Air Force physical fitness test at the Pentagon. When the Air Force invited them down, it's fair to say they were both very intrigued and very nervous. Not too many civilians get to see the Pentagon's massive subterranean fitness complex. And few of us know how our training routine stacks up to what's required of our service members. But to really ramp up the stakes, Christine and Robert were under strict orders from our producer, Sylvia Ryerson, not to train for the test in the weeks leading up to the test. Instead, they were to simply maintain their normal routines and to see how their very different approaches to fitness would measure up. We're running that segment again, and afterward, I'm going to ask Christine and Robert what's happened since they got the results of this test. So did they ever retake it? Have they made any changes based on their results? Are they any stronger or faster now? We'll get to all that in a bit. But first, here's Christine and Robert on the road to Washington, D.C. in May of 2016. So we're heading to the Pentagon and we're going to take this Air Force physical fitness test. And I think both of us feel a little bit of trepidation over such a thing. We know a little bit about what's ahead of us. We know we're going to do a 1.5 mile run. We know we're going to have to do push-ups as many as we can do in one minute and same thing with sit-ups as many as we can do in a minute. Um, I know what I'm worried about. What are you worried about? I am very, very worried about the sit-ups and the push-ups. I am kind of one of those stubborn runners that just runs and uh, I know we're supposed to cross train and all that and I just never find time to do it and I think I'm supposed to do something like 40 sit-ups in under a minute and I'm kind of scared that I'm not going to be able to. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm most worried uh, about the run. Oh yes, that is the, that is the thing that is worrying me the most. Because, not that I, I know I can finish it, and I'm, I'm sure I can pass it, but we'll, well, let's be honest, we're not just <laughs> coming and doing this and hoping that we'll just pass. We want to be amazing, and I think that I, I think that's what worries me the most is that I kind of know that I'm not going to be amazing. <laughs> See, Robert and I are really different athletes. Robert runs 
six, sometimes seven days a week, about 50 miles a week. He runs at least nine marathons a year, and he is really fast. I run two, maybe three times a week. I never wear a watch, and I never do speed work. I like to ride my bike, and I go to the gym. So we were nervous about this test for very different reasons, because we have really different strengths and weaknesses. And we had a three and a half hour car ride to obsess over all of them. Okay. I mean, it's not like if we don't do well, we're not gonna get into something, but it's just sort of mentally knowing. Well, I, I legitimately am going to fail the push-ups and the sit-ups portion of this. Like, and that just makes me feel really bad about myself. Um, yeah, I think that the the test is going to be, I mean, the, the, the run portion, like the pace, you know, you asked about that, it's probably about 6.15 pace. I've run a half marathon faster than that pace. So, you know, running a mile and a half there is no big deal. But 40 sit-ups in a minute, that's, that's a lot uh, if you don't do sit-ups. And I don't do sit-ups. <laughs> now, we could have prepared for this. I mean, that's what members of the Air Force do. They know when the test is coming, they know exactly what scores they have to nail, and they work on their weaknesses. But we'd promised our producer, Sylvia, that we wouldn't prepare ourselves. We did not like this idea very much at first. But we came around. Because it would be more interesting to see how our regular training routines would stack up against a test like this. Yeah, I'm not worried about the sit-ups. Even though I don't do classic sit-ups, I do a lot of, like, core stuff. Um, I, I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm going to do well. I just, I, I haven't really considered worrying about them. They're sort of at the bottom of my list of worries. The run is really high. Um, and then, so push-ups, to get the maximum number of points, you have to do 57. How do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, my God, 57? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. <laughs> so that's in a minute. It should be noted. I don't think I could do 57 push-ups in an hour. <laughs> like, legitimately, I know you're laughing, but I'm when, when, Be honest, when was the last time you did a push-up? And if you've been secret training, you have to come clean. I have not been secret training. <laughs> you know, I don't like failing. Uh, and I feel like we're going to fail today. Yeah, I'm more worried about disappointing myself. <laughs> right. I figured I would be a little nervous, but as I get off the metro stop at the Pentagon, I'm surprised at how anxious I feel. The tight security at the entrance doesn't help. In many ways, the inside of the Pentagon is unremarkable. Long hallways full of closed doors and empty walls. And then you hear that there are 17.5 miles miles of these hallways, and then you start getting an appreciation for just how unique the place is. It takes 10 minutes of walking, and finally we enter a massive gym. It's underground. It's actually underneath a parking lot. We hang a left into a small room. Um, we are in a uh, yoga-looking room with the wooden floors and a uh, couple of mats on the floor ready for us. And the gym, the Pentagon gym, is just outside that door. Uh, it's huge. There's a track that we're going to be running around, a blue 
blue track. Got to run 13 times around it, I think. I'm a little nervous. My voice is shaking. I am totally out of my element here. And uh, there's a room full of people that are all looking at me and are going to laugh at me very soon. <laughs> we meet Captain Olivia Cordy. She's going to administer the official Air Force fitness assessment test for us. So this is the fitness assessment score sheet. So here I just need you to fill in your name and your um, uh, age. So that way we can compute your score once we're done. And then we'll take the height and weight. And then I'll give you a chance to look at the score sheet so you know exactly what your minimum and maximums are for everything. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Captain Cordy has served in the Air Force for nine years, and she's an official PTL, or physical training leader, certified to conduct the fitness test. She's administered it for dozens of Air Force members. She's got a wide, friendly smile, but you just know she's not going to cut you any slack. She walks us through what's to come. So there are four components of the fitness test. The first is the abdominal circumference, um, and we do that along with the height and waist measurement. And then we do the muscular component, which is uh, sit-ups and push-ups. And the person that can actually decide if they want to do the push-ups or sit-ups first, whichever one they're more comfortable with. And then we'll go up and do the aerobic component, which is a mile and a half run. So here's how it works. To pass the test, you have to get a total score of at least 75 points out of 100. But that's not all you have to hit the minimum satisfactory score in each of the four categories. So even if you get a 90 overall by scoring really high in three out of the four categories, if you miss the mark in that fourth category, you're done. So for example, say you're a trim, super fast runner who can do sit-ups until the cows come home, but you can't do a push-up to save your life. You fail. The requirements vary by sex and age, and everyone in the Air Force, no matter what their rank, has to take the test. If you score below 75, you've failed. And if you're in the Air Force, that means you have to take the test again within 90 days. But if they do do four failures within 24 months, they, a package does have to be put together for a retention or discharge from the Air Force. So some people this can be a little bit nerve-wracking for. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's nerve-wracking for us, and, you know, we don't really even have anything on the line. So I imagine, you know, uh, wow, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> right. So Okay, so we'll get the test started. So I'll read you guys the instructions for the abdominal circumference. We'll go take that, and we'll get your height and weight measured also. Robert says we don't have anything on the line, which is not exactly true, because if we fail, we'll just have to live with our failures forever. No pressure. Height. Captain Cordy records the height and weight component to calculate our body composition. And the easiest part of the test is over in seconds. So I get you at 5'3"? Is that what you normally are? Yeah. Okay. We both ace that portion, and then it's on to the next. Robert goes first, and he decides to start off with the push-ups. To simply pass, he needs to do 27 in a minute. To max out the score, he needs to do 57 or more which is a ridiculous number of push-ups. I'm equally nervous about this and the sit-ups, but I know that um, I can't do what I need to do to pass, and so that makes me very nervous. But I'm gonna do uh, my best. I'm gonna try to um, keep them slow and steady instead of going too quickly. 
Okay, so I'm going to read some verbal instructions that we have to read to everybody before the test. So, the push-up is one assessment of the muscular fitness. Place your palms or fists on the floor. Hands will be slightly wider than shoulder width apart with your elbows fully extended. Your feet may Basically, be no more than 12 inches anything that makes a push-up easier, forget about it. Captain Cordy demonstrates a push-up for us. Her form is perfect. This will be your up starting positions. Hands have to be flat on the floor. Feet no further than 12 inches apart. Down, up. Up is one. So if you need a rest, you can rest here. You can go like this. You lift your feet, lift your hands off the ground if you need to. Robert places his hands wide on the mat and lowers himself to the floor. So ready, begin. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, he starts sweating, 12, and a vein bulges 13, in his forehead. 14, but he doesn't actually look 15, like a guy who never does 16, push-ups. He's consistently 17, ripping them out. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Go down a little bit farther. 23, 24, 25. You have 30 seconds left. 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. 32, 33, 15 seconds, 34, make sure you go down all the way, 35, come on, come on, let's go, couple more, 36, come on. 37, come on, come on, come on, come on. time. <laughs> so that didn't go as badly as I was worried that it was going to. I really was uh, concerned I wouldn't be able to get 27. And uh, yeah, it's a really long way away from the 57 I needed for uh, the top score. So I definitely have some work to do there because I like hitting the top score and I'm a long way away from it. So you received 7.7 .7 points out of 10 on the, the push-ups. Then I'm up. I need to get 14 to pass and a perfect score is 46 or above. Now, here's the thing about this part of the test. This is the part that I really, really want to do well in. Because push-ups are something I've been working on for months, long before I knew I would have a captain in the Air Force counting them out for me. I just think push-ups are really badass. So while I've been most nervous about the run portion of the test, I'm freaking out a little bit at this point because... I know I can't hit the max of 46, but I really, really want to get close. Ready? Begin. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Make sure you're coming up all the way. Nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Make sure you come up all the way. 22, 23, 24. 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 30 seconds, 32, 33. It was like my triceps had vanished. There I am, hovered inches over the floor with, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds left and absolutely nothing left in my arms. 36. That's done. You're done. I should have rested. Oh. Oh. 
I am bummed. Yes, I know 36 push-ups is solid, but this is the Pentagon. (laughs) Badasses are all around me, and I just wanted to feel like them just for a minute. I get up, shake my arms out, then after two minutes of rest, it's time for the sit-ups. You'll begin by laying face up on the floor or mat. Your feet may extend off the floor or mat, but your buttocks... In brief, your hands can't leave your chest and your heels can't leave the floor. Your elbows have to touch your thighs or your knees, and your shoulder blades have to touch the mat. Again, Robert goes first. Ready? Begin. One. Two. Three. Four. Right away... I can tell Robert was not exaggerating about his lack of sit-up skills. He is one of the fittest-looking dudes that I know. He's a sub-three-hour marathoner with, all right, it's cheesy to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, a beautiful running stride. Robert makes running look effortless, but now he's struggling. 19, 30 seconds, 20, 21, keep your hands in contact, 22. Really struggling. 23. With each rep, he slows just a little bit, and he's grimacing. It's kind of like his torso is turning into cement. 15 seconds, 27. Keep your hands in contact. 28. 28, you're still on 28. You're done. Ah, that sucks. Yeah, I really got to start doing core work. Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. I just failed. I didn't hit the minimum. So, yeah, minimum it doesn't matter. Is, uh, so and, and how many did he get? He got 28. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so, so that's game over. So you can finish taking your, the test. We, we don't ever stop that. But if you don't meet one of the minimum components, you fail the test. Yeah, I, that's what I was really nervous about because uh, so. I knew this was a, a really weak area for me. I can't believe it when he fails. There's nothing worse than disappointing yourself. Then it's my turn. Lay down to start. Ready? Begin. One, two. I shut my brain off, throw my back against the floor, and like a thing out of a horror movie, swing violently up and down. I forget what number I'm aiming for and just keep slamming myself into the mat until Captain Cordy calls time. 43, 44. 45, 15 seconds, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, time. That's the most horrible noise I can make. It was just totally involuntary. Did I max out? Yes, you did. Yes. Oh, I should have done that. You don't have to go over your max. What was my max? Um, 45. So you did 12 more than over the max. Oh, (laughs) yay. I can't think when I'm doing stuff. (laughs) So you got 10 points out of 10 for your uh, sit-ups. I am grateful for all those painful planks at the gym. Thanks. We're actually going to travel upstairs to go to the the track, and we'll start the the run portion of the test. So, what may not pay off, however, is my running routine. So, the 1.5 mile time to run is used to measure cardio respiratory fitness. Prior to beginning the 1.5 mile run, you may complete up to a three minute warm up. You will line Again, up the starting it's pretty line. basic. Stay on the outer ring of the track and go like hell. 
The track we're on is blue, it's elevated, and there's a basketball game taking place below it. There are a few other runners on it, but nobody looking too serious. Robert and I line up. Hey, ready? Begin. When Captain Cordy tells us to go, I'm on Robert's heels for about three seconds before he disappears around the first turn. We've got to go 12 and three quarters laps around this thing, so I settle into a pace that feels like something I can hold for a mile and a half. Within minutes, Robert laps me. He just floats on by with his effortless stride. Christine's coming by. You have eight laps left. You're at 346. I can hear Captain Cordy calling out my splits, but they mean nothing to me. Robert laps me again, which does blow my mind a little bit. 851 for Robert. You have two laps left. You're at 857. When I have a lap to go, I target a trio of dudes who I've now passed multiple times. I'm determined to get to the captain before they do. Right before my imaginary finish line, however, the three of them spread out and have to weave around them to finish my run. I am gassed. 10.37. That's awesome. Did she get it? She ran a 10.37, so she maxed out for the females as well. I am truly shocked to hear this. You did, yeah. What was the time? No way! No way! What pace is that? I don't even know what pace that is. It's great. That's really exciting. Finally, we get our results. So I calculated your guys' scores, and overall, Christine, you got a 99.2 out of 100. And then and you passed, you maxed out all the components except for the, the push-ups. Robert, you, you scored an 87.7. However, you would have still failed the test because you did not uh, get the minimum component for the sit-ups, yes. So he would have 90 days to retest. You guys are very fast. <laughs> I was very impressed. We don't see like too many people running a sub nine and the females also just running a sub 1030. You don't see that very often. So you guys did very, very well on the run, which has the highest fail rate for, okay. the, for the Air Force fitness test. So you guys max that out, obviously. <laughs> So, congratulations, great job. After all that, we deserve a couple of beers. So that evening at the hotel bar, we debrief with our producer, Sylvia. So, compared to what your thoughts were going in, how do you how do you feel about it now? I mean, honestly, like, I'm really disappointed. Um, I'm not surprised. Like, I expected this. I knew that um, my, my sit-ups and possibly my push-ups would be a really weak link, but it still, it sucks to fail at something. I think we should all be able to pass a general fitness test. Well, so, so Robert, I wanted to ask you sort of, yeah, so what are your takeaways, your plans now um, coming away from this? I think the biggest takeaway is that um, just running's not enough. You know, like, you can go out and you can run 50 miles a week or whatever, and um, that's going to let you run okay enough, but um, it's not going to do anything else. And, uh, so yeah, if you want to be like a, a well-rounded um, athlete, or not even just an athlete, but just like in shape as a person, um, you really need to hit the gym a little bit and you know focus on some things other than just running. So um, yeah, I guess it's not good in this case to be such a, a one-trick pony. <laughs> What's your personal plan? Are you making this goal now? Are you pledging to, can we hold you to this on the podcast? 
Absolutely. I don't like losing, you know, and Christine kicked my butt today. So we should focus on that for a bit. Um, she got a 99.2. So she really, really did a fantastic job. Um, but I think I could do better than 99.2. So <laughs> I, uh, 90 days from now, let's, let's try it again and see if we can both get 100. That'd be pretty cool. Oh, yes, that would be very cool. Absolutely. So you got a 99.2, but I, Robert and I both know what the main thing on your mind is. <laughs> yes, the main thing on my mind is those damn push-ups. I could have done more. Oh, maybe I couldn't have done more. Maybe maybe that was, well, obviously I couldn't have done more. I, I basically got to the, that last one and tried to push up, it, like, and I was halfway down, and there was nothing. Like, I've never felt that like absolutely incapable of pushing myself up any further and she knew it she called it she's like oh she's done so yeah because I, I really do feel like I, I probably could have banged out 40 but I did Thir 36 and actually that's the only number of all the things that I remember <laughs> 36 I don't remember how many sit-ups I did and I don't remember my runtime so I'll say on the record, like um, three months from now, we're, uh, 90 days, we're doing this again, and um, I'm going to get a perfect score. That's my goal. Wow. All right. The bar has been set. Okay, so I'm in the studio now with Christine and Robert, and uh, I just listened to the segment again for the first time in after a year, and I love it, um, but I'm sure everyone wants to know, you guys said 90 days <laughs> on retaking the test. I have to ask, did you retake the test? Robert, you had a little chuckle there, so we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, definitely did not retake the test. Um, I had great intentions. Um, I just re-listened to the, the episode, too. And, um, yeah, I was pretty passionate about uh, becoming a more well-rounded athlete. And I got to tell you, uh, that went really well for about uh, maybe a month. And then uh, the wheels just kind of fell off. I uh, talked to a friend of mine and he helped uh, or he put together a plan for me and um, I was really sticking with it for a while but um, it just got really tough to to stay focused on that and it was it was kind of beating me up and uh, I kind of you know just fell back into my old habits and um, definitely didn't retake the test and uh, stopped doing everything except for running just like uh, was the case before this test and so honestly if we were to go take the test again today uh, I think I would probably fail or I would definitely fail um, just like I did before. So real quick before we get to Christine you said you you tried to plan for about a month what was in that plan like what type of things were you doing? Oh sure um, yeah there was a, a variety of things I was um <laughs> there was a, a day that I found myself um, filling up five-gallon buckets with water in my backyard and then um, walking across the lawn back and forth doing lunges while holding them. Um, that was difficult. Uh, I was doing all sorts of uh, squats and such on chairs and um, different sorts of exercises like that to try to um, boost my core. But the problem is, is I'm... Uh, 
pretty naturally unathletic person and not very coordinated. And so all of these things for me were just uh, so difficult and it took so much mental concentration. And I just felt all the time like I was doing it wrong. And I would get so sore too that uh, it was really kind of cutting into my running because I would just get so beat up from these other workouts that um, I wasn't able to get in quality runs. And I had a marathon coming up that I was a little nervous about. And um, so I kind of started going lighter on on these cross-training workouts and eventually um, felt really bad. But uh, after my friend had spent so much time coming up with a plan for me, I had to bail on it. And um, I wrote a long apology (laughs) note to him. And he's like, dude, I don't care. <laughs> but um, that was I, very nice of you. <laughs> I felt bad. And anyway, um, so yeah, I, I definitely had um, good intentions of coming back to it after the marathon, um, but it just kind of never happened. It was one of those things uh, I was kind of um, hoping that Christine would forget that I had said <laughs> that I was going to retake the test in 90 days. And uh, so kind of avoiding her around the office, too, in case she'd call me out on it. And 90 days passed, and we had kind of a conversation where we said that we were done with that. And, uh, yeah, ever since, uh, it's back to the way it was. Um, I'm running a bunch, but not doing much else. All right, Christine, you could hear the angst of not getting the 100%. So did you use that as motivation for the past year? I did, but I will say that um, I was very glad when Robert bailed on the three <laughs> ma- <laughs> on retaking the test three months later because I also sort of um, fell off my own little wagon for a while. So I wasn't at all upset that he didn't want to do it. And so I didn't realize he was avoiding me. But, um, but yeah, we were very pleased with our mutual decision. <laughs> so where is your fitness at now then? How would you compare it to then? Right. So um, I do really like variety. If I do just one thing for any length of time, I get pretty bored. So I've started CrossFit and yoga, and I've added that to my mountain biking and my road cycling and my running. Um, so, you know, I have been working on push-ups, um, but I was out of my mind to think that I could have gotten 40 at that test last year because... But you were really close. Mm-hmm. You were at like 36, 36, right? Yeah, but that was pure adrenaline. Like there, I think prior to going in, I had, I don't know, maybe had hit like 32. It's so hard to get an extra one. And I know that now because I've really kind of made it my mission like twice a week. I try to do as many as I can do in a minute. Hmm. And it's only been within the last month or so that I've... Even, that I've hit 40. So it's oh, been... Oh, so you have hit 40. I have hit 40 once. Actually, today I hit 42. Wow, <laughs> wow that's I'm awesome. very excited about that. But it's it makes me realize, like, just how hard each one is. You have to fight really hard to get... <laughs> To get another one, it is not like, oh, I can just go in and bang out 40. Give me a break. No way. <laughs> but if you were to retake the test now, you would likely get a 100, right? Well, I, if I had taken the test today, I probably, I probably could have because I have also aged up. Uh-huh. So the standards have gone down. And so I think now I would have had to have done 38 push-ups. So I think... Um, if I was having a good day, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, I think I think so. Although my run, I haven't been running that much. I, a little bit, once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be fine. 
And you probably aged up in that too. Oh right, yeah, you're right. So, <laughs> and, like, oh right, oh yeah, I get a hundred, no big no, deal. That's not... And Robert, if we were to go outside the studio and try to do this right now, you think you'd be about the same? Uh, yeah, the same. If uh, anything, I mean, and again, um, the way that the test was set up, uh, even though I got an eighty-seven, um, I failed, and I would fail again because I wouldn't be able to get the minimum um, value for the setup. So, even if you um, you know, run the fastest time or whatever else. If you don't hit the minimum number for the sit-ups, uh, you can still fail the test while getting an 87. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting, uh, the way that they set it up like that so that uh, you have to be a, a more well-rounded, fit person. Well, thank you both for sharing uh, your experience last year when you did it and uh, coming in and recapping what we've been doing for the past uh, 12 months or so. Um, it's good to hear that Christine is now at 40 push-ups when she tries to max out. So that's great. Everyone's thank probably you. very happy about that. Very um, happy, too. If you want to see what standards you'd have to hit for your age group to get a satisfactory or an excellent score in the Air Force physical fitness test, go to runnersworld.com audio. The day after taking the physical fitness test, Christine had the opportunity to talk briefly with a couple of very busy members of the Air Force about the role running has played not only in fortifying them for their high-stress, high-stakes careers, but how it's helped them build camaraderie and trust with their brothers and sisters in arms. So I'm Major Andy McIlvain, and uh, by trade I'm a B-52 pilot, but uh, currently working full-time here at the Pentagon and the air staff. So um, flying is really physically intense, but can you explain in what way? So I think that um, flying can be physically intense, um, but in different ways, depending on the type of aircraft, and certainly some more than others. Um, so qualifying, um, you know, there's more training initially or, or a physical fitness test initially. Um, to meet certain standards um, to get in the airplane because your initial training is going to involve pulling uh, G's and that's going to require some level of physical uh, stamina and strength. Um, once you move on from that, you may or may not still be in that kind of aircraft requiring that same sort of strength um, or stamina. Um, for me personally, in the B-52 world, um, it's really endurance to some extent. Um, just because we can fly missions, you know, upwards of um, 16, 24 hours plus. Um, and so you just need to be able to sort of tolerate that physically and be able to maintain, um, you know, work through the fatigue aspect of it and, uh, and be able to manage that, um, as well as just the physicalness of actually flying the airplane uh, in a big old airplane like that can be somewhat, um, you know, daunting physically on occasion. There are times that, you, you know, you can rest in between. So I would say that that level of fitness required somewhat decreases over the years. However, um, you know, as we get older, that endurance factor um, is really important. Can you explain what a B-52 is and what it's used for? Sure. So the B-52 um, is a bomber aircraft, um, strategic bomber uh, would probably be the best description of it. Um, it's been around, uh, invented in the 1940s, tested in the 1950s, and became operational in the 1950s. And um, the models that we're flying now are the H model um, that have all uh, been around since 1960 and 1961. Um, we uh, carry both uh, conventional and nuclear weapons, and we uh, can carry 
both kind of your old school dumb bombs, if you will, as well as uh, more modern um, precision weaponry. And how long have you been flying them? And and was being a pilot sort of an uh, ambition and goal for you? Yeah, so I wanted to uh, fly uh, since about middle school. Um, and uh, so pursued that goal. Uh, I did ROTC in college and graduated in 98. Um, went into the Air Force and started my flight training in 99 and then went to the B-52 in 2000. And so I flew um, continuously in that time up to 2007 when I separated active duty and then came back via the reserves in 2011. Um, and I was flying B-52s from 2011 up until 2015 when I started my job that I'm in now. And you mentioned pulling G's. Can you explain what that means and um, why that requires considerable fitness on the part of the pilot? I can explain it. However, the airplane that I'm in now doesn't pull many G's. We have a maximum of uh, two. So, uh, you know, as compared to like a fighter aircraft, more maneuverable, you're going to be pulling upwards of eight, nine G's on occasion. Um, so you're uh, in initial training, though, even those aircraft can pull um, some number of Gs. Um, and that just means you're fighting against gravity when you um, are trying to go upside down or, or pull uh, into a turn um, aggressively, essentially. Uh, those Gs will onset, so there's more gravity pushing against your body. Um, as you can imagine, that's uh, you know not real conducive to the blood pumping to all parts of your body. So um, you have to be able to uh, perform what's called the G strain and actually tighten all your muscles up um, to keep that blood in all your extremities to include your head um, while those Gs are onset to your body. And if you don't do that, what could potentially happen? Uh, you would pass out. And then also when you're flying, I was just learning about all the vibrations that happen. Can you talk a little bit about the vibrations and why that also requires some degree of conditioning? Sure. So um, almost any aircraft is going to have a level of vibration. And if you've just ever been on like a long road trip in a car, especially maybe a, an older car that, you know, just kind of more rattly, um, it, it's sort of annoying at first. And then, you know, and especially being kind of like, sequestered in that spot for so long, you know, um, not getting out to stretch your legs, move around, you know, you sort of, uh, you, your body physically fatigues. And really, it's a little bit mental too, right? You get you get um, fatigued mentally just from being in there. Um, and yeah, the vibration adds to that. And our aircraft tends to, you know, vibrate fairly significantly. So, um, you know, it is just, just something that um, you may not even notice at first, but then as hours and hours go on, you know, it really does kind of catch up to you. Um, and you just, it's just an endurance thing, you know, just like running a long distance, you know, eventually it might feel okay at first, but it's going to catch up to you, right? And you need to, to be able to maintain a fitness level just to, to be able to uh, continue to perform um, both mentally and physically after that point where it does catch up to you. And can you just talk to me a little bit about your own personal history as a runner and, and where you're at today as a runner? Sure. So I um, I really didn't run or play sports at all as a kid. Um, I, I was a dancer. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I you know realized if I wanted to be a part of the military, I was going to have to um, get into the more of an athletic lifestyle. Um, so I started running really about my senior year of high school. Um, and more, a little bit more seriously, I don't know if that's the right term for it in college, but that's when I first did my first 5K back around my sophomore year of college. Um, and it sort of progressed from there. Um, I realized that I really enjoyed it. It was very, um, 
I had never really hung out with runners or, or knew too much about, you know, the runner's high or, or just sort of, you know, how mind clearing it is. Um, did a handful of full marathons before I started having kids. Um, and then waited until after I had three kids to uh, go back and, and do some fulls again, just starting just a few years ago. So I know you're a member of Team Red, White, and Blue, you know, and they're very active. Part of their whole thing is helping veterans reintegrate through physical fitness and and through racing and um, group runs and group activities from across the board, hikes and uh, CrossFit and all of that. Why do you belong and why do you think it's important? So... um just overall, I would say I'm, I am passionate about serving, um, and that has um, changed or grown as, I, as I've grown across my life. You know, um, in my experiences, it's not just about wanting to fly, it's actually about wanting to serve. Um, and I'm also passionate about brothers and sisters in arms. I think that warrior ethos, that um, concept of, you know, that implicit trust that you find being um, with another military person who to some extent has shared, you know, some of the same experiences as you um, that breeds that trust. So I think that that culture is what is most missed or lost on the people that leave the military, um, whether it be of their own, you know, I, I served four years enlisted and I'm out and I'm now in the civilian sector trying to make my way um, and potentially have some very interesting, you know, experiences from my military time. We've been at war for 15 years. You know, most of our young veterans out there have seen some facet of that war. They're re-entering the civilian community and they don't necessarily feel comfortable or know how to make those connections with their peers who have not had those same kind of experiences. It's just a friendly face or an outreached arm um, to say, you know, you're not the only one out there who is confused by you know this transition to the civilian life. Um, we want a place to belong. We want to feel that brotherhood, sisterhood, camaraderie, whatever you want to call it, um, from people with similar shared experiences and people that appreciate or support that rather than just have heard about it, you know, on the news or whatever. So um, I I think that that's a lot of what Team RWB, at least in my mind, means to me is is uh, being that outstretched hand, just wearing the shirt, giving a high five to another eagle out there, you know, when you pass them on the run or at another event, a CrossFit or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's just that friendly face. It's just a feeling of comfort in knowing that you're not the only one. So I'm a Staff Sergeant Douglas Kachijan. I'm a pararescueman in the New York Air National Guard and also the CEO of Resilient Performance Physical Therapy. It's a uh, sports performance physical therapy practice in New York City. Can you just tell me briefly what a PJ is and, and does? Okay, so a pararescueman or a PJ is a is the basically the primary rescue specialist in the Department of Defense. So even though we're affiliated with the Air Force, we actually work with all services. And the idea is anywhere, you know, a Department of Defense asset can get into trouble, whether it's a human being, a piece of machinery, we have to be able to access that asset and be able to stabilize it, medically treat it if necessary, and then get it out. So we're one of the special operations components of the Air Force. And our job involves everything from scuba diving, parachuting, uh, emergency medicine, small unit tactics, mountaineering. So pretty much 
anywhere something or someone can get into trouble, we have to be able to get there. And so it allows for a really uh, wide breadth of training. Where were you at physically when you first decided that you wanted to um, try to become a PJ? Uh, I've always been pretty athletic. Like I played sports through college and fitness has always been kind of a passion of mine. And now with the internet, all the information out there, like I knew what the physical standards of the pararescue program um, were going going in. So it allowed me to prepare pretty thoroughly. Um, and it's kind of like if you have the answers to the test, you should prepare for the test beforehand. Some people kind of wing it. That's not really my personality. So I knew, for example, like at the end of our selection course, I'd have to be able to run X number of miles and, you know, in whatever time and swim a certain amount in a certain time and do this many push-ups, pull-ups and sit-ups. So I made sure that before I enlisted in the Air Force, I could actually meet those standards so that, you know, once I arrived at that selection course, I'd be prepared because the physical, you know, component is only one way that they select you. So I knew that if I could meet those standards, then the psychological stuff and some of the other reasons why guys get eliminated from the program, I could focus on those aspects and not have to worry about the physical part as much. So um, can you kind of describe a little bit uh, just what the sort of the running specific test that you had to do? And if you remember what you got in, in those particular tests? Sure. So ultimately, I mean, you pretty much have to run everywhere in the parascue training program. So, like, even if you're going to to lunch or to breakfast, like, you're literally not not allowed to walk. So, I would estimate that even you know outside of like the formal like these are your running workouts or training you're doing for the day, we probably ran around five miles a day just as a means of transportation. That didn't count as the actual running for the training. But as far as our like actual evaluations went, I think in the final week of our selection course, we were required to run six miles in 42 minutes. And then, in, you know, in the first week of the program, you might start having, having to only run like, let's say, two miles in a certain amount of time. And then each week they add some distance. Um, but we're working up to running, you know, that uh, six miles in 42 minutes. And so, I, I mean, I think I ran it in around maybe, you know, so it was sub 40. I was, so I was, I was close, but not that close. Um, but yeah, so that's just what you're evaluated on. But then you're, you're running everywhere. You're doing training evolutions where, you know, you're sprinting, you're crawling, you're in, you know, it, we did runs and training that were like close to 20 miles. So you have the evaluations, but then you're basically just running as part of like the a means of physical selection just to make you tire and see how you wreck under stress. So a lot of times the, the actual formal running evaluations were the easiest part of the training because, you know, they're typically on a Monday when you were well rested. And then after that, they just run you into the ground because they wanted to see how you reacted under physical duress. And obviously there's only so many ways to induce stress in a controlled environment. Physical stress like running is one of those ways. So that's a good way to get somebody tired and see how they react when they're not hundred percent. I read that uh, the PJ's school selection, that that's got one of the highest attrition rates of the special operations units that are out there. And I know that there's so many different things involved. Do you think that people sort of underestimate just how important that type of stamina, like the stamina that you get from running is when they come in? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely need to have a really high level of aerobic fitness to do any special operations type job. Now, running is is a way to do that, especially in a group setting when you're trying to select people. I mean, I would say that as far as like the ultimate job carryover for us is we're typically, you know, walking through like mountainous terrain or a difficult terrain with, with like a lot of equipment, which is, you know, it's difficult to run uh, with all that stuff on. So a lot of times if we're running, it's more like, you know, you've got to drag a patient behind a piece of cover or, you know, you're, you're kind of sprinting for your life to get somewhere. So probably running fast from a job standpoint is more important than 
running long, but you still need to have that endurance component where like, you, you know, you might have to walk, you know, 15 miles to, to get to an objective or to get to a patient in a real world mission. And running is, is, is another way to prepare for that. So I don't think you need to be like an elite distance runner per se to, you know, to graduate the pararescue program, but you certainly have to be a good enough runner to meet the evaluation standards. And I think running is just a good way once you are qualified for the job to maintain your aerobic fitness, because it's not like everybody has access to mountains where they can go backpacking every day. And just why why is being so physically fit so important for your particular job as a PJ? Uh, I think one of the biggest things is just gives you confidence. I mean, like if you're going through a selection course, for example, just knowing you can meet those standards, um, it, it gives you the confidence that, you know, when, when the days are difficult and they're, they're purposely going to put you in situations where you fail and the training is designed to do that. But at least if you know when you're formally evaluated that you can meet those standards, it helps during those times when, you know, you're, you're failing and you're getting that negative feedback. And then from a job standpoint, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, we always have to be prepared for the worst day, the worst case scenario. And when you're, when you're fit and you're physically prepared, you're just more, you're more confident in, in confronting those kind of things. And, you know, we don't, we're, we're primarily, I would say, you know, medical providers and rescue specialists. So, but because we have to get into, you know, difficult situations and austere environments to do our job, it's not like a medical provider here stateside where you can, you know, drive an ambulance to work or show up at the hospital. I mean, we have to do physically arduous things to, to access a patient and that can include, you know, swimming or, or walking a great distance with a lot of equipment. Um, and so the, the idea is the more fit you are, that's just a way to get to work. Once you're treating a patient, if you're, if you're really fatigued because you, you weren't fit enough during the, you know, the initial infiltration phase of the mission, now you're not going to be as sharp medically because we all know that you, you know, your reaction time, concentration, all those things are compromised under fatigue and under physical duress. So the more fit you are, it allows you to do the, the part that actually matters, which is treating the patient or doing that complex technical rescue. And if you're not fit, it's going to compromise your ability to do what you're really there to do. We talk a lot at Runner's World about uh, mental strategies that you can use to sort of get through, you know, the wall or get through like really tough parts of a run. For you personally, like, did you come up with any strategies that sort of helped you specifically like on your runs when you were, you know, when you were training and then even today, like anything along those lines? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it, 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 kind of carries over beyond running. So we tend to kind of like compartmentalize things. So when we were going through our selection program, I mean, if you if you woke up each morning and you were like, I'm going to have to do all these horrible things today, I mean, it would be pretty daunting. Whereas if you're like, look, I woke up, whatever, it's four o'clock in the morning, I just want to make it to breakfast. And then, you know, whatever happened between when you woke up and breakfast, as horrible as it was, you, you made it to breakfast. And then, you know, once you get to breakfast, it's like, okay, whatever they throw at me between breakfast and lunch, I want to make it to lunch. And so it's kind of like if you're running, I mean, if you know that you're doing a marathon. I mean, if you can kind of just create almost like this artificial checklist in your mind of, you know, things that you need to accomplish along the way and, and kind of break up this huge goal into little goals, it makes it a lot easier. Because if you kind of look at it from a big picture standpoint right away, um, it can be very intimidating. And that's when I think people can kind of stress themselves out and, and, and defeat themselves mentally. Um, so whatever kind of mental tricks you have to play are usually pretty helpful. But I think whether you're a runner or even just like, you know, somebody in the military, um, breaking things up into smaller components and then trying to meet these little goals in route to a big goal is really helpful. And what's your, do you, are you a runner still today? And what's kind of your weekly routine? I, I probably do some form of run training like, like twice a week. Um, so I typically do more like sprint work because like I said, for our job, I think it's more important to be 
be fast than to uh, than to run long. You know, I don't typically run long and slow anymore because it's not something I really enjoy doing that much. But I do uh, I do interval work, so I'll try to take something like like a longer distance, break it up into into repeats, so I can kind of maintain a you know higher cadence and a higher pace. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we are evaluating our ability to run long distance. Even doing that, like the minimal two days a week, tends to carry over, and I can do pretty well on the test because I also do other kinds of aerobic training as well. Is there a, a time in your work as as a PJ? that you can sort of illustrate for us as an example of just how important it is, like your physical fitness was to your job. Can you recall an anecdote of sorts that will highlight just why that is so important for you guys? Sure. I mean, there have been real world missions where you're, you know, you're required to, to walk long distances with a lot of equipment and then, you know, like drag patients to, to safe places. But I think that the biggest thing is a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll work uh, we work autonomously, like so, as a group of a group of pararescue, and we also work where we get kind of you know farmed out to different uh, military units. I think a lot of times, especially in the special operations community, one of the easiest ways to establish credibility within those different units is to demonstrate that you're physically fit, because um, that's kind of how a lot of the special operations group kind of define themselves and differentiate themselves is because of their like level of training. They're they're a little bit fitter than a typical um, military member, and so like having work with you know groups from other services. If if you if you train with them or you you work out with them, you know before you go out on real world real missions where you're trying to build camaraderie and and get to know the guys, if they see that you're operating at the same level as them physically or better, they immediately trust you, without having seen you actually do do your real job. So I think in uh, in, in this community especially, like having that level of, of fitness and physical preparedness is a great way to establish credibility and build trust early on, because in in this profession. I mean, trust is everything. And if guys don't trust you, they're not going to work when I want to work with you. And that's why I think we're willing to go to great lengths to help each other because we have that level of trust. Since his conversation with Christine last year, Douglas Kachijan has separated from the military to focus on his civilian job at Resilient Performance Physical Therapy in New York City. And Major Andy McElvain has left the Pentagon. She's currently assigned to the 711th Special Operations Squadron, 919th Special Operations Wing at Duke Field in Florida. She is currently in Initial Special Operations Forces Air Commando training and will be a Combat Aviation Advisor C-145 instructor pilot once her training is complete. If you want to learn more about running groups that bring veterans and civilians together, check out episode 16 on Team Red, White, and Blue, and episode 27 on Wear Blue, Run to Remember. That's it for this episode. As always, we're so grateful to those of you who've rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we know that kind of stuff takes time, and we really appreciate it. I'm your host, Brian Dalek. I produced this episode with Sylvia Ryerson and Christine Fennessy. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.